All right, so we're, we're going to, to take a couple, take a couple, a few, a few Sundays to to discuss a matter matters of, of conscience. And I was motivated by this for a number of reasons. I'm motivated by it because of some of the own struggles that we face in Christianity today. Even to like Ray was saying a few minutes ago about how the, our society is changing and morality is changing, consciousness is changing. I mean, things that you were. Things that were done in, in secret years ago are done in the open now. Things you'd be ashamed of before, there's no shame to it. And it's like we're constantly, we're losing, we're even losing the society, the shock factor. We don't, we're not even shocked by things anymore. But what drove me initially to, to talk about some of these is, is really to, to see how it impacts the church. Conscious issues and how it impacts uh, the church. So I want to first start out with just a few quotes that uh, I picked up from... Uh, done some research a little bit on on consciousness and kind of gives you an idea of some of our thought processes around it. Conscience is the inner voice that warns us that, that warns <clears throat> somebody maybe looking. I think uh, mentioned is a, is, a, is a journalist, but that's probably about uh, accurate because on a spiritual level, you know, this spiritual awareness that we have an accountability towards a greater you know being. So even from the these are not obviously uh, Einstein is not a believer, so these are not believing quotes, right? No guilt is forgotten so long as the conscience still knows of it. Uh, and we'll talk about some of that too when it comes to society's response to guilt or society's response to having a conscience. And we'll see that society as a whole, of course, doesn't want a conscience. We don't want to be bothered by uh, feeling guilty about things and how our response to that uh, is. And then as, as believers, we'll see how the conscience impacts so many different areas of our lives, <clears throat> even as we unite as a church. I want to share some of that. A clear conscience is a sure sign of a bad memory. <clears throat> That's pretty, probably pretty accurate as well. Never do anything against conscience, even if the state demands it. And we've had <clears throat> a lot of discussions in within Christianity as to how to apply conscious issues to what the government is requesting or requiring of us now. You know, how, should, how do we abide by these? How do we obey these? What do we obey? How do we respond to the government? So there's a lot of conscious issues in the church surrounding this, uh, these current topics as well. And I think this would just go on and on, which means we're going to have more and more of these types of issues within the church is, is issues that is going to challenge our own conscience and how do we respond to them and how do we maintain church unity within that context. A clear, a clear and innocent conscience fears nothing. The torture of a bad conscience <clears throat> is a hell of a living soul. <clears throat> and George Washington says, labor to keep alive in your breast that little spark of celestial fire called conscience. Uh, what, a, what a tragedy when a society goes to the point of... Um, goes to the point of losing consciousness and seeing these moral bearings being uh, destroyed, eroded, and, and changed. So what's a, what's a natural human response to, to the conscience? Let me just put one word definition, and we're going to come back to definition more clearly. Broadly defined, the conscience is your awareness of what you believe to be right or wrong. The your is the specific aspect of conscience because it's your conscience. It's your awareness. So conscience is your awareness of what you believe is right or wrong. Of course, we'll discuss how you align your conscience with God's word. We'll discuss some of those issues. And what one thing that really drove me, just two things that really drove me in this study. One, 
is the frustration or disappointment to see struggles within the church around conscience issues, which means the church that divides over conscience issues. When in reality, we should learn to appreciate those differences and value those and, and learn how God uses those differences to, to bring completeness in, within the body of Christ. Now, that's one thing that drove me uh, on this issue. The second question that came up is, is, and I'll try to answer some of that. I'm not suggesting I have the perfect answer because I haven't seen anybody really. You know, you, when you do a study and MacArthur confirms what you think, you think, okay, I've got it right. But when no one else says what you say, thinking either I'm either I'm out on the limb, or uh, you know. But one issue that, that that I struggled with in this area is is how can one man's conscience be right and another Christian's conscience be wrong? Which means how 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 can two if the because you'll see MacArthur talk about the conscience and he'll is lined up with knowledge and truth, etc. Which of course is absolutely true. But in that case, one person's right, one person's wrong. I mean, one person's lined up with truth, one person does not. But Scripture doesn't address the conscience that way. It talks about individual conscience and not violating your conscience. Well, how can that be? How can that be if, if Fred and I have a disagreement on conscience, how, how can he be right and how can I be right? Or how can one not be, have to submit to truth and one's not submitting to truth? So how, how do, do you reconcile those two things? Because within the body of Christ, what we're going to see about the conscience is that it causes a lot of, it causes a lot of grief, a lot of struggle, a lot of divisions, and... Can, can we both be right, or how, how does a conscious function? So that's the other part of the struggle and that question that I want to address. I don't know how far we'll get today, today in that. I've got three Sundays to cover the topic and uh, before right before Easter. So conscious is one of those subjects that touch so many different areas. What are some of the areas? If you can think about conscious and uh, the sense of right and wrong, what areas of our Christian walk does it does it impact? I mentioned church unity. What other areas does conscious, the topic of conscious impacts in our Christian walk? Relationship with your government. Your, relation, your relationship to government, which is what we've seen a lot recently. Education of your children. Education of your children. Your employer. Your employer. <clears throat> Think about all the marital issues surrounding conscious issues. What one person feels is right. Judy, when you stick your tongue out like that, I know you're doing it at the baby. I'm looking over there, and Judy's sticking her tongue at me, and I realize, what is going on? But she's just playing. Apparently not. I'm just messing with you, but I don't. She's playing with the baby, boss. He is. Alright, me. Nothing like. I'm just glad it's not like Sunday morning from the pulpit. You see that, like, wait a minute, okay, let's re- recalibrate real quickly. So, think of all the areas that the sense of what is right and what is wrong is going to impact our way of handling issues. Uh, so, the conscious issue is is not something that is is easily. I think it's something. It's a topic that's probably easily misunderstood, but it definitely shapes how we think, and because it shapes how we think, it shapes how we live. Imagine two, and I'm going to use an illustration, I think, in a couple of slides here, how when two people come together, they come with their set of boundaries based on their experience, based on their knowledge at that point in time, knowledge gained in Scripture and truth, but we're all at different points in understanding the knowledge. You bring all that to bear, and what you have in those boundaries you have is, is what's challenged even within a marital relationship. 
So one person, of course, can come in. And, and these issues can be, you know, we, we can discuss issues we all agree upon, but we can also discuss issues that come really at the heart of very sensitive issues. Then it hits, it hits conscious issues. Here's what's right and here's what's wrong. So uh, there's, it, it is naturally, there's two things about conscious issues that we have to be aware of in the front end. One is automatically something we're passionate about. If we're not passionate about it, then it's just, well, I like green, well, I like red, okay. And we just make a decision on whatever. Conscious issues become passionate issues right away. Now, I feel guilty because he's got his Bible out. Like, I'm sp- I know he's reading Daniel. You're not reading today, are you? No. Okay. We're going to say, we're going to get to, we're going to get to, Ro- there's key passages. Romans, 1 Corinthians 8 and 10 and Romans 13 14 I'm going to cover the, 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 those areas. We're not going to look at them today, probably because I've got to cover the, the, the groundwork for it. I just thought that would pick on you, Nathan, and the scripture. But that's the, the passages we're going to hit at. And walking through that, wow, those are such informative and helpful passages. Because Romans 13, that talks about the authorities, talks about the matters of conscience in 13. Then in 14, he unpacks the believer's response to different people's area of consciousness and then first uh, Corinthians 8 and 10 really cover that well as well so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna walk through those texts uh, next time but not uh, not today yeah I think a fundamental thing we need to remember while you're doing the beginning of this thing it's, it's a compound word it's made up of two words con which is with and science knowledge and so that's what makes up the word conscious is with knowledge about something and it's uniquely driven by everybody's unique worldview. But that's just a fundamental thing to build on, because that's with knowledge. So the, the piece that, like MacArthur is going to hammer on the issue by saying we need to line up with knowledge. The fallacy is thinking that we all have the same knowledge base. Mm-hmm. And the fallacy is thinking that we're all going to come to the same conclusion about knowledge and truth and apply, application of that knowledge. Yeah. Because otherwise you get you get this, you, you automatically fall in a certain arrogant realm that says, well, if you had my knowledge, then you'd have the same notion of what's right and wrong. Well, that's all very presumptuous of how the Lord works in, in our understanding of knowledge. Of course, there are underlying truths. We're not talking about theological foundational truths about the divinity of Christ, about things that are essential to the gospel. We're talking about issues that step outside those boundaries that we negotiate, that we handle. They're still in truth, and they're still aligned with truth. Aligned with knowledge, and that's why you're going to see in First in, in uh, First Corinthians eight, and then Romans fourteen as well. It's going to be aligned with knowledge, but we as believers tend to think, well, if you just had my knowledge of it, then you would obviously see things right the way I do, and not wrong the way you do. So those those issues still leave room for that 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 alignment and that difficulty in those two things coming together. But the, the ultimately the bottom, the you know the at the bottom line, but ultimately the desire is to line up, of course, with knowledge knowledge of truth. But sometimes we think that the easiest way to solve a problem is, is give a book to somebody. Oh, here's a topic. Oh, here, read this book. If you just read that book, you come to the same conclusion as I do. That's been, nine times out of ten, that's, wrong. that's not true. Uh, so I just think we just, as believers, we have assumptions about our ability to come to the same conclusions about everything, we had to make sure that we understand that there's a conscious issue there, and uh, we're going we're gonna to unpack, unpack some of that. But battles, I, the battles that threaten the church, there are battles, of course, surrounding around theology. I mean, today we see, a, we see bad theology. Bad theology is, 
is prosperity gospel theology. It's there's just a lot of bad theology out there. But I think the underlying battles that we face are not so much theological than they are conscious issues. I think there are a lot more divisions in churches over, you know, so you, when you hear the typical story about a church dividing over the color of the carpet, uh, you know, it wasn't about, or, or even translation issues, or, uh, you know, is, is the six-day literal creation, some people will divide over six-day literal creation, whereas Piper questions that. And others will affirm it. And is that a divisive? Is that a dividing issue? So there's there's a lot of issues that fall into areas that are uh, not outside of theology. It's not the right way of, of describing it, but that certainly uh, take takes a certain amount of interpretation of it. So our our consciences are shaped by knowledge, but it'd be would be naive to think our knowledge is not shaped by our experiences. By when I think of, of Mark and he all the, all his experience in counseling is shaped by what? Well, he's shaped by his experience in coming through that traumatic marital breakup, risk of breaking up, and then being reconciled, and then being rescued through biblical counseling. So all that shapes his understanding through the word of of where counseling needs to be. My experience in missions is going to be shaped by my experience. So as I read scripture, I see and I experience, and I understand things. Yes, I'm. We align ourselves with Scripture, but obviously, I my own experiences around uh, mission agencies, around missionaries, around these things are, are going to shape my understanding of truth. So we need to be aware of that because if we're not, we just we get this false assumption that, uh, <clears throat> and it's 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 a natural tendency when you come out of <clears throat> when you come out of a seminary environment where you're very analytical. And you process things very thoroughly. That you come out with the right process. So you want to make sure you get it right. Well, by getting it right, that means you got it right, and someone else is getting it wrong. So you automatically are start shaping in that in that mindset, and it becomes very easy to start seeing everything, and and forget that there's matters of conscience that come to play in in some of this. And of course, as you argue these these issues of conscience, they should be argued around the word, and knowledge of the word. And uh, just with the understanding of what else comes and shapes and influences that as well. But the beauty of the church is that we're called to be united around the word and we're called to be united around the gospel. And unfortunately, you see, I remember talking to a a colleague in in, in school a few years ago, just like five years ago, I was working some doctoral studies, and he was so discouraged by his church could not grow. His church was, we were stuck at 120, and we don't know how when guests come in. We have a hard time assimilating guests. And we're, we're a real friendly church. We love each other. And we're always having church meals together. After Every Sunday, there's a church meal. We stay together. But we're having a hard time, people on the outside kind of sticking in. And, you know, as he's talking, giving experience, and he, describing his church, I, I, I told him right away, I kind of figured out what, what was going on. I says, let me ask you, are you a homeschool church? He says, yes. I said, that's, that's not that homeschool's your problem. See, your, your conscience is going to start getting upset here. Uh, but because there's such a strong, closed homeschool community that they're all in the same homeschool environment, a person that comes from outside, and he was describing an example of a person that's going to, you know, kids are in public schools, and they're like, well, we don't fit here. And so these, these churches can become so so homogeneous around a certain conscious issue instead of appreciating the diversity that God brings together around the word, around truth, 
around the gospel that we, we lose that the beauty of and the joy of some of this diversity. I, I thought about <clears throat> some of the struggles that even as a church, as we unpack some of this, God has been gracious to us as a church through these times. Had lunch with, with uh, Brad Bigney. Uh, Mark so kindly invited us. Mark paid for it. Mark, you're the man. Paid for lunch. <laughs> so Brad, Brad was talking about how this past year was his worst year ever in church. 25 plus years of ministry, his worst year ever this past year. Because he says, here's this little group. Remember hearing his testimony of starting out with 35, now they're at 2,300. Hearing this little group of 35, he has one man, like for example, there was a restaurant owner that got saved, was part of that original little nucleus that grew that church. But now he's so upset that we're not taking a stronger stand because he's, he's refusing to close down, refusing to wear masks in the restaurant. And so he's been, he's been on the news, he's been in jail, he's been released, and he's so upset that the church is not taking a stronger stance. And he's leaving the church church of 2300 25 years and here he was one of the original 35 over what over a conscious issue so i've heard people say someone asked me a couple weeks ago i said why why is tim lake not thriving but why is tim lake still doing well under these circumstances i've heard other people say one pastor said well the reason why tim lake's doing well is because you're not forcing people to wear a mask and it's not all it's not entirely wrong because I think the churches who have forced the mask issue have forced people to trample on their own conscience and made a decision, either you wear a mask or you come to church. So they forced people to trample on their own conscience issues over that. And uh, so, yeah, it has caused division because you took people who felt like, no, it's not the government's role to tell us how to do church, and it's not the, the Constitution gives us the right not to, or whatever all the arguments are, discussions are, but you've asked them, no, you can't, but you don't have to put that conscious issue aside you're going to have to do this if you come here so yes that has caused divisions and that has caused churches to uh, have immense amount of, of strife and division and struggles over it so there there is that <clears throat> and it, it doesn't mean it's been perfect it doesn't mean that we're, we've got it right it doesn't mean that we're doing all things well it doesn't mean we haven't lost families who are offended that we don't enforce certain things about uh, the government regulations and thinking they should have the right and the, you know it's a good testimony and if we love our neighbor and whatever all the other discussions are in, in that mix but we as a church <clears throat> from the beginning have been wanted to be very careful about one not jumping in the pool of social issues surrounding the question keeping the word and the gospel the main issue number two mm-hmm. and two hopefully create an environment where everyone feels free to come if you want to be masked, you come masked. If you don't want to be masked, you don't want to be masked. But that's, it's not the government's role to tell you how to function within the church. And there's, there's a lot of discussions around that. The intent is not to, to try to force that discussion, but just to, to understand that what's behind those issues are conscious issues and how the devil uses that to divide his church. And I think as society grows and the society continues in the direction that it's going now, where it's going to be so much more... I'm, I laugh at the issue of the mask as if the mask is going to be our biggest issue in the year to come. Mm-hmm. Have you read the Equality Act? Mm-hmm. Have you read what they want nonprofits to do? Have you read where they're going with gender issues? Have you read where they're – and we think the mask is a big issue. So the church is sitting there struggling over conscious issues over that the mask or not the mask. 
And instead of overlooking that and seeing the gospel and seeing the word of God, they struggle over those conscious issues. And in the year to come and two years to come, we're still going to be squabbling over those. And, and people are going to be left hanging out there. And they're left dissociated with church because of that. And we're dealing with much greater issues that, that deal with, with, with truth, with wickedness, with evil. And uh, so don't, don't get – that's part of the, the issue of these conscious issues. It's not just uh, – Brad was sharing how some people in the church wanted their church to sign up with this. You know, this, these local churches in the area had signed up with this social agenda issue. You know, we, we recognize the, you know, the suffering of uh, – I'm not sure how it worded it, so I want to I quote it. I'm not quoting it. But, and all these churches were signed up on that list. as we, uh, we affirmed that as well, and he didn't feel comfortable doing that. Because where did I go if I start affirming this and this and that? So people got to fit in left for that. It's just that's, – that's kind of what drove those, those, this, this question about where does a conscious issue fit in these things and, and really going through these different passages – and in, do, and in doing so, help us not address specific conscious issues, because we'll never be able to do that, uh, but to, to see how they fit within God's, God's plan. Um, so questions that, that surround this. Let me come around and see. I'll just keep track of my time here. <clears throat> So def- defining conscious, the consensus, I guess, uh, you know, the conscious is your awareness of what you believe is right and wrong. Conscious produces different results for different people. Having a clear conscience is not in and of itself enough. It must be measured and informed by Scripture. A clear conscience can be evil. <clears throat> Martin Luther says, my conscience is captive to the Word of God, meaning, you know, conscience produces different results for different people. Just because you have a clear conscience doesn't mean... It's a good thing. We should feel guilty about some things. So as the world would like us to be freed from conscience, the world doesn't like guilt. What do you read about most people that when you read, especially when you go into, <clears throat> when you go into secular counseling that doesn't recognize God or his truth, what do you have? We have people, well, you should be guilty. Rid yourself of guilt. Free yourself of guilt. You, you know, and there, the idea that there's a moral authority bearing the stand to respond to, to answer to, is, is problematic for man. Of course, because he doesn't recognize God. and no, no one enjoys the weight of guilt. We don't want that guilt. So it's more being freed from that. So just having a, conscious, just having a, a clear conscience in and of itself is not a sign that you're okay. There are things that should bother me. And there are things that I should, I should respond to. Also, we see that conscience can change. It can change for better. It can change for worse. Uh, the, the fall has warped our understanding of, moral, of God's moral law. The fall has twisted, but it has not erased. You know, when we create an image of God and know the depravity of man, we focus on the depravity of man, which obviously the scripture speaks of, it doesn't mean that God's image has been totally erased from man, but it's, it's been perverted, it's been warped. So our conscience has to be lined up with truth, lined up with knowledge. I might not naturally um, have a a right response, guilt or not guilt response to something just because I, I feel like it. So when we're driven and the world is driven by feelings, a world is driven by feelings, well, whatever you feel is right, if it feels right, how, what's the song that says, how can, uh, old country song, how does something that feels so right be so wrong or something like that? Nancy, you know that song? Did somebody sing that? Would you mind? 
just um, why why does why does consciousness change? Why does your consciousness evolve through the years? I mean, as you mature, your conscience is going to change. And I think if you're in a position, if you allow yourself to be vulnerable and willing to have those conversations, then that's the whole point, that it's supposed to change. Um, as you mature? Yeah, you have to have an openness and a willingness to have those conversations. If you're what? constantly surrounded by people who believe the same exact things as you do, you're never challenged in how you feel about it. Um, and you never have to defend it. If you have to defend it, you can kind of see, oh, okay, well, maybe I am wrong there, theologically, or maybe I I can see their point, and then you can your conscience can begin, begin to change. One thing in, in observing people as they grow older, which I'm not there yet, but I'm saying as, as you do grow older, I often thought about even men who have strong convictions about Let's use a, t- a topic that we probably are not going to be offended by. <laughs> the King James Version. It's amazing, though, how on your deathbed that doesn't matter anymore. Or in your latter years of life, other things take precedent. My father, being conservative realm environment raised that he was in, there are a lot of things in my younger life that bothered him. You know, I didn't, and I, I couldn't engage him on some topics. I try to because I want to understand. I want to understand. I mean, the Bible says you have to be drunk with wine. Why? Why do we have this position about? Well, he gets got so his conscience got so inflamed over the issue that I mean, alcohol is sin. Period. How can you not see that? I mean, that was in the discussion. Whereas today, he's not so sensitive to the issues. Why? Because he's seventy-five years old, and as you narrow your focus, you drop off things that are maybe not as critical as essential, and those things become... So what becomes essential is what is the gospel and word of God. Mm-hmm. So there, there, is some, there is some wisdom in understanding that as we grow in wisdom, grow in understanding, grow in knowledge of truth, that our conscience will be shaped. I, I trust that it does. I trust that it grows in these areas as well. So conscience monitors. It serves as a witness. It judges. It guides. It tells us how we are doing and how we are conforming to, to God's standards. Packer has a quote here. Um, I'm not going to read through. You have a chance to, to look at it. I just want to use this. This is just my own little box illustration because I'm a visual guy, so I like things in boxes. That's the, that's the reason why I have a whiteboard at the school in my office, just so I can visualize things. I'm more of a visual guy. But here's the complexity. Our lives are shaped by boundaries that we place on, our, on ourselves. Those boundaries are placed... Are they of trust, yes, that they're shaped by God's Word, a knowledge and understanding of God's Word and truth. But this helps me illustrate the complexity of, of bringing believers together that, that have established in their lives different boundaries, different understanding of what they feel is right. <clears throat> Jane and I, we've been married 29 years. Man, that was, I almost walked in the her upbringing brings her into a marriage with this understanding. I feel right about this, and I feel wrong about that. And is it shaped in truth and knowledge? Listen, of, of course, there's a word of God that anchors truth. But my church said this is right. This is wrong. This is amazing how you know you're you're wired in a certain way that things that you know the skirt two inches above your knee 
you know, or two inches below the knee, or whatever it is. All these, all the, of course, there's there's modesty issues. I understand you. All these issues come into play. I'm saying as you come together, you have here's here's two people coming together with broad experiences. Mm-hmm. When I came on staff here, I came with 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 this experience of, of living overseas. French thinking that really messed things up. <laughs> uh, raised in a social environment, so don't sh- no, one's got, no one's caring today, right? But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bothered by socialism as a whole because I was raised in socialism. So you know, free medical care wasn't that bad. You know, I, I, I just, well, it wasn't free. We paid ninety. You know, we paid like a value added tax of twenty percent on everything. So you pay for it. But you bring that in. <laughs> So you bring, you bring in, and then you have this common base that you work with that is the gospel, that is truth, and that we agree upon. So even though we, we all come, and Mark comes with his wild experiences. I mean, Mark comes with his experience. Then you come with these seminary guys, and they come with their experiences. So Mark and I, we always come out. We're always going to look out here. Our boundaries are here. Why? Because we're, we're both church planners at heart. So we want what? We, we want, and we love that. just that get your hands dirty, people's, in people's lives, seeing people saved. I mean, we're just, because we're church planners at heart. So we love, we love mingling with the unbeliever and just living and breathing with them and seeing them come to Christ. I want people to know Christ, not Greek. <laughs> there's, his, there's his boundary. There's his boundary. <laughs> this is what happens whenever you, you come in an environment where you say you develop and what the danger is that, so here you have 10 guys, they all graduate from the same school, they all read the same books, they're all the same age dem- demographics, they all have roughly the same experiences, their area that they have in common, and the area that the conscious conflicts are a lot more limited. And sometimes we naturally are drawn to this, so we keep, we keep having people that, that fit this demographics. So the, the areas that, that are conflictual are, are minimal. We might, we might uh, disagree on little things. And then we start wanting people that kind of fit these same, these same areas of sensitivity. And really the, beauty, the, the beauty of the church is to see that diversity that comes from seeing people that come from, from broad differences but that agree on the essential things. Because what happens over here, you start building a church around people that, like the other pastor, was a homeschool church. So now, you know, the homeschool issue is not a big issue until you start telling people, well, you're, you're, uh, you're advocating parental role when you're not homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, that issue gets passionate pretty quickly when you start talking like that, don't you? <laughs> or, uh, you know, so for some people, the music, of course, is an issue. Oh, drums, why? Because someone's experience with drums, I had a friend of mine who came out of rock and roll, the typical example, I came out of rock and roll, and so drums, to me, reminds me of rock and roll. Well, for him, that is a conscious issue. For him, he needs to stay away from it. But for, for others, that's not, that's not an issue because his boundaries are, are different. So this is just my little way of putting things in boxes to help understand why there's a danger in this. The danger is that we just become so programmed. And that's why I'm, I've always been very lucky to say, well, I'm only going to... Work within a very limited framework. Is it easier? Of course, this is easier. This is easier. Why? Because we're not we're not rubbing. We, we don't. We all agree. You know, we all quote the same person. We all read the same books. We all come out with the same process. So this is easier 
because it seems less conflictual. But in reality, what grows the church, and what we're going to see about why there's why the two there's two realities about why a constant issue can be right for a person or wrong for another is that is it, well, I'm ahead of myself a little bit here, but it's like the sanctifying process. Is a young believer wrong and an older believer right? No, a young believer is in the sanctifying process that he's growing towards an understanding of things. So, and we're all in that process. No one here has arrived to anything. So as we all are continually growing in our sanctification and our understanding of truth and applying truth to our lives, it's together with those differences that we are stronger and have a more complete picture of truth as opposed to when we're all within our same comfort zones and we all agree on these, all these, all these, these gray areas we all agree on. So this... Maybe that's just something I... Uh, Jeff, I was just going to say, I mean, just even looking at that and thinking about that, it's just, it just pushes you to realize that we're also self-centered because we, our view, we're good on where we are, mm-hmm. our view. So even just thinking about it right now, it just pushes me to say, wow, you know, I judge quickly because they're not lining up in, and like you said, it's any area, dress, drink, you know, what, you know because I grew up, in a church, and I grew up in a family, we don't drink alcohol, we never did, you know, even a glass of wine or whatever. But I went to France. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, I mean, everybody in my entire church, except for about three who were alcoholics, drank. And, you know, yeah, I mean, you struggle when you're at their home, and, you know, they're not drunk. And they're offering you a glass of wine. And you know what I mean? And so all these issues, all of it, it pushes you to think, wow, where am I in the spectrum of yeah. um, loving to people, keeping what's important, important, and not thinking I always have the right answer on everything. And it's, it's, um, Jane was like, Jeff, you could, you could drink, but you don't have to like it. So that's, that's, that's the rule is you don't like it. <laughs> but anyway... It is. Yeah, I had a young missionary arrive. He was with World Life, arrived in France. He shared me. He said, I, I don't know how to do this. He, he met with the elders at the church because he was going to go work at the church, then start World Life Camp. And we met at a bar. And the other three elders were all drinking beers. <laughs> and I, I was like, I should be here. You know, it's like his whole conscience is like telling him, ah, red flags, red flags. And uh, so uh, it's, it's just part of. But when this, when you come with broader and you accept those broader differences, then you, you learn to appreciate what is essential and what's not. And you learn to grow stronger bonds around truth and not around preferences or convictions or conscious issues. So you come out with a much greater understanding of here, here's what's essential, the gospel. Seeing people come to know Christ, people grow in his word, the word of God being truth. Uh, so that's that's just the beauty of that, and not we don't want a church that's centered around. You know, I hear Brian say a number of times, you know, we're not a topic-driven church. You don't want to be a church that's a topic-driven or an idea-driven church. You want to be centered around the Word and shape our understanding of things around the Word. So um, next time, the conscious principles. Look at that. Biblical usage. There's around 30 references to the. There's around 30 references to the word conscience in the New Testament. There's no direct parallel in the Old Testament, but it does refer to it a few times. So we'll look at that as well. And just from you know, we'll, we'll see it from a parent from a parenting point of view. From a parenting point of view, the conscience is your friend. 
thankfully your kids feel bad about things at times. Otherwise, you'd be in big trouble, right? So how to, how to let that conscious issue work its way through and conform it to truth as opposed to saying, oh, don't worry, don't feel bad. How, how does that work and how, do God, how does God use that? So we'll start unpacking that next time and then going to, to the text as well. So appreciate your time and we'll close with a word of prayer. Well, Nathan, if you don't mind closing a word of prayer for us. Father, we uh, thank you for this opportunity to just discuss this, this matter of conscience and see how critical it is to our to our Christian walk, Lord, uh, how it affects our relationships with each other and the unity of our church, our marriages, all of this. Uh, every relationship that we have is defined by conscience principles, and we pray that uh, we will be attentive to these things and begin to look for ways to uh, build up our, co- our conscience in the Word, uh, the truth will be fortifying our conscience that we'll grow and mature we will not sin against our conscience uh, Lord I pray that you help us as we think through this carefully and perfectly as a church and as a family uh, we pray this all in Christ's name Amen, Amen.